0: Hi everyone, I'm John
1: and I'm Georgia and we're here
0: inside your ears to
1: talk about the mac and cheese of movies.
0: This This is is Comfort Comfort Films.
1: Films. Hey friends, welcome to another episode of Comfort Films. This week is episode 5 and we're going to be discussing the movie Major League. So we decided since World Series was this past week that this would be a good time to select one of the many baseball films from our list. And Major League was the pick. We still have four or five on there, though. So if you have a baseball film that you like better, rest assured it might show up. Um, John and I don't really follow sports that much. Nope, not at all. <laughs> but <laughs> we do like sports movies Very, somehow. very much, yeah. Um, and baseball, for some reason, tends to be high up there. Um, I like football movies too, but... Football movies are great. But it's funny because I really don't follow football. Like, if I don't follow baseball, I really don't follow football. And I barely even know that basketball exists.
0: Basketball is fun to play. Football, I just have memories of getting up really early in the cold to go to games with my dad. We'd go see the Patriots. Yeah, he
1: was a big football guy.
0: He was. He was a big
1: sports in general guy, right?
0: All the way, yeah.
1: Yeah, I, uh, well, I grew up in the middle of nowhere, so we didn't really have pro sports anywhere um, to indicate that. I'm, I'm sure that most of the people that I grew up around were probably really excited that the Braves won this week. Um, because that was the closest to us, even though it was like probably a 10 hour drive and two (laughs) states away, um, because Mississippi has no pro sports. Um, so I don't think I went to a pro sports kind of event until probably into my 20s, uh, when we went to Pittsburgh, uh, to see your dad Mm -hmm. and we went to see a Pirates game. Yeah. Um, So that was my first game, and it turns out that even though I really don't like following sports on television, I do actually like going to baseball games.
0: It's fantastic to see a game live.
1: Yeah, and even if I don't really have a horse in the race, I really enjoy it, and I like watching it, unless it's a pitching game, which kind of turns really boring. Like, I know that's kind of ironic, because you're seeing a great pitcher at the top of their game, that means nothing's happening and you're just striking people out and there's no running. And that's the part I like. So I'm a goober. Everybody who knows anything of sports is probably like rolling their eyes at me. Sorry. Um, But that's just what I like. I like the fielding. I like seeing all that stuff happen. And yeah, frankly, when I was growing up, I would rather go to, you know, a school ball game or something that was live than watch pro sports on TV just because the energy of a live event is so much more fun. Oh
0: yeah, well, and when you talked about a pitching game, I actually had to stop and think a minute about a pitching game because it's been so long since we've been, you know? <laughs> yeah. I was like, what does happen there? I uh...
1: <laughs> Well, I think about the Mets game we went to. Okay. So John and I ended up going to a lot of different parks to see, a... when we lived in New England, everything was pretty close proximity. Unlike in Mississippi, where you can't see a game live for pro sports. But it's easier because you
0: all could agree on what your team is, you know? Well,
1: I mean, well, we could, yes. I mean, I guess that was a little bit harder in New England. And for you, you were kind of a mixed situation because your parents were from the western Pennsylvania area. Yeah. So they were all like Pittsburgh fans. And then, but then you grew up and... Massachusetts yeah. which I don't know if everybody knows this but Massachusetts likes their own sports teams Very much A lot so. Yeah <laughs> obviously
0: Yeah they they've got they've got their teams and they support you yeah, know big I mean time. Well it, for me it was like everything if you look at old pictures of me I've got one where I'm all done up in Steelers gear and I have a terrible football <laughs> I've got on a Steelers jumpsuit I've got on a Steelers winter hat like they really were supporting the idea that I was gonna be the big <laughs> sportsman. Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, your brothers are. Your brothers oh, yeah. are big Steelers guys Huge. and uh into sports, but you were you just turned into the movie guy instead. Pretty much. But hey, sports movies, I'm in.
0: Well they definitely. I mean that was my common ground with my dad. He always wanted to talk sports. And I remember one day I actually talked to him about basketball and I never did that. He was like so happy. He's like, John, thank you for talking to me about that. You know? He knew
1: it was like a plant, but it was okay, right? Yeah. We could
0: always, always do the sports movies. That was, uh, when I was younger, my father actually coached Little League Mm. and I got to play under him two different times.
1: Oh, that's nice. It was
0: really nice. And... I always was moving around different positions. He would try me everywhere, like he tried me as catcher, then he tried me as first base. Then he tried me, I think, as shortstop, then I think he tried me as third base, and then I famously ended out in left field. And uh, left field is famous because one time I was out there during a game and I really had to pee. Of
1: course.
0: Of course, with me. And I didn't want to leave my post because I was like, oh my gosh, what if the ball comes out here? I don't want to miss any action. So I thought I could just turn around, unzip, pee really quick, and turn back around and nobody would notice. (laughs) You know, like a magic trick. And uh, so I did that. You know, and I thought I had pulled off, you know, this amazing deal out there that no one saw because there was so much other action out on the field. Um when I went back in after the inning, my father actually said to me, uh, John, did you take a leak in left field? (laughs) That's great. (laughs) That was awesome. Oh my gosh. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I also played uh softball. Not baseball, but I played softball in church league and I mean league meaning just my church and everyone in it. Mm -hmm. Um, we didn't really play against anybody but ourselves. Um, but that was cool. And then I played some in school, not like on a team, not like on the varsity or something, but, um, just enough to do it. And then even in elementary school, I remember, um, so my fifth grade, uh, there were three people in my Fifth grade class. Uh-huh. Uh, so when we had field day, it was basically an entire school kind of an affair. Okay. So all the kids from, I think, first grade through fifth grade, which is as high as the school went, all played against each other um, on teams. So, of course, you had to be able to do a lot of different things. So I've played every base. Um, I never played catcher, which I'm very happy about because my knees are kind of junk.
0: Yeah. I don't know how I used to do
1: that. I don't know how yeah. I used to do that. Well, yours are better than mine anyway. <laughs> they were, well, when you had to throw the ball, you had to kind of... You had to pop up. Yeah. yeah. Oof. But I pitched. I was a pitcher for a while. I was
0: lousy at pitching.
1: I was actually really good at slow pitch softball pitching. Ooh. Um, and I, But I think my favorite position was shortstop because you're really in the action on shortstop, I think. Um, I never played outfield. I only played bases and pitched. You should try left field. Well, (laughs) if I ever need to go to the bathroom, not that it would be that easy for me, um, but I was thinking you're lucky that the ball didn't come sailing at you while you're turned around. Yeah, it's like just beamed you right in the head. That would have been a real moment in time for you and your dad oh man oh my gosh
0: he would have laughed about that till the end of his days i mean that's amazing just peeing and whack
1: that's awful <laughs> that oh, would happen gosh. to be. it probably would totally um so anyway um i don't know if you're aware of this but this is actually a podcast about movies oh not baseball games and not peeing
0: oh <laughs> shoot i might be in the wrong place then is yeah the... no, well I which know... closet is this is this <laughs>
1: I know you have a lot more peeing stories that you could share. Oh, yeah. um, Future podcast idea. Just stories of pee. (laughs) Totally separate from comfort film. Um, There is something comforting about peeing, uh, I guess. So maybe that's the crossover. But at any rate, um, the reason that we like, I think, baseball movies and sports movies in general is because they seem to somehow manage to capture that spirit of watching a live game Mm -hmm. um, because there's, like, built-in drama. um, And a lot of times a sports movie is an underdog-type movie, especially the ones we like. Yes. Um, So I think that it manages to whip you up and get you involved as the viewer in the same way that you do when you are at the actual sporting event, Mm -hmm. as opposed to when I'm watching a sporting event on TV where – I think a lot of people get really interested and invested, but for something about it, you know, being on television removes it for me. Like Same it, here. It takes away the immediacy, which is bizarre, but true. Somehow I can watch a sports movie like Major League that I've watched probably 40 times. Wow. I'm just guessing, but I've probably seen it maybe 40. Um, And even though I know what's going to happen and I know half of the lines in this movie because it's super quotable very much and which is one of the reasons i like it i still get swept up in the excitement and the action of this team trying to pull themselves together and you know do what they do which is win games so uh as we move into actual discussion of a film uh comfort film Let's go ahead, uh, John, and would you like to read a short synopsis of the film?
0: Sure, I'd be happy to do that. Major League is a 1989 sports comedy starring Tom Behringer and Charlie Sheen. Not to be confused with 1986's non-sports, non-comedy Platoon, also starring Tom Behringer and Charlie Sheen.
1: Different movies.
0: <laughs> Different but the same.
1: <laughs> I don't know about that. Was it <laughs> no, not at all. Maybe we'll revisit that later. <laughs> <laughs>
0: oh man <laughs> the owner of the cleveland indians has died and the ownership of the team is transferred to his ex-showgirl wife rachel phelps played by margaret Witten. rachel hates cleveland and wants to relocate the team to miami which has offered to build a new stadium and promised her enough perks to make it the most lucrative deal in baseball Per the contract with the city, attendance must fall below 800000 for the year in order to move the team. Much to the chagrin of the rest of the organization, Rachel puts together a ragtag roster of has-beens and never-will-bees in the hopes of the Indians finishing dead last. Much to the surprise of general manager Charlie Donovan, Charles Cyphers, the reputation of the Cleveland Indians is so poor that prospective players and management balk at offers to join the organization. At spring training in Tucson, the management looks in horror at the players assembled, causing newly appointed Indians manager Lou Brown to sarcastically remark with a chuckle, My kind of team, Charlie. This is my kind of team. We are introduced to Jake Taylor, played by Tom Barringer, an over-the-hill catcher with bad knees, Rick Vaughn, played by Charlie Sheen, who's an ex-con with an uncontrollable pitching arm, and Roger Dorn, played by Corbin Burnson a high-priced free agent more concerned with his portfolio than the game. Rounding out the team are power hitter Pedro Serrano, played by Dennis Haysbert, who can't hit a curveball, and Willie Mays Hayes, played by Wesley Snipes, who claims he can play like Mays and run like Hayes. Doran and Vaughn are oil and water from the start, and their constant antagonistic relationship escalates over the course of the film. Religious arguments run rampant in the locker room, and Rachel takes more amenities away from the team the better that they perform. Against all odds, the Indians make it to mid-season with a record of 60 and 61. Lou says that the team is improving faster than he thought they would and claims that there is a lot of talent in the club. Recognizing the tremendous effort that the team are putting in, Charlie Donovan has a heart-to-heart with Lou and informs him that Rachel created the team to fail, and that everyone will be sent back to the minors or outright dismissed at the end of the season. Lou rallies the team when he tells them of Rachel's plan, and Jake puts forth the idea that they need to win the whole thing. With renewed spirit, the Cleveland Indians go on a 32-game winning streak and earn a spot at a one-game playoff against their bitter rivals, the New York Yankees. The Indians win their one-game playoff, and Cleveland wins its first pennant in decades.
1: Thanks, John. Nice synopsis.
0: Thank you. Really trying to trim it down because I know the synopsis can get long.
1: Yes. Some of our synopses have been several pages, mm-hmm. um, but going forward, um, just a show note, we probably are going to try to cut that down and just hit the high points um, so as not to bog things down and get right into the actual conversation, which is the fun meat or... Uh, you know, vegetables, if you're a vegetarian, <laughs> of our uh, comfort film, Sammy. So, you know, uh, that being said, we do still recommend, as always, that you watch the movie, not just so you can avoid spoilers, but also because we may leave some parts out um, that we do discuss later um, that aren't in the synopsis. You might get confused, but also we love these movies and we're always a proponent of people going out and watching them if you can fit that into your schedule.
0: Yeah. If you have a chance, it's a really good laugh. And uh, if you like baseball, it's really up there with one of the great baseball movies. This could be... I, I know that you chose this movie, Georgia, but I am a huge fan of this movie, too. Yeah. I have watched it so many times. and It's there...
1: highly quotable. It's yes. funny tremendous underdog story. Um, I mean, these are the reasons I chose it for comfort films, but as usual with, with our picks, I do have a nostalgia component, um, to why I chose it as well, because I believe that the first time I saw this was around my early to mid teens, and it was because, unless I'm just completely making this up, which is possible, his memory works like that. <laughs> um, I remember that my stepbrother is actually the one who said that I should watch this. And I do remember sitting down uh, with him and with my sisters, who are a little bit younger than me. And we all watched this together, probably without our parents, because I know my mom in particular would have probably been horrified. We uh, were watching this extremely Profanity laden film. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I watched it. I loved it. And I just kept watching it over and over again, um, revisiting these characters and the story and the hilarious kind of one liners that are dropped throughout. How about you? When did you first see the film?
0: I first saw this movie, I think around the same time when I was. Uh... I don't know, this came out in 89, Mm -hmm. and I would say that I probably saw it in maybe 90, uh, maybe the latest 91. Mm -hmm. What used to happen for me is for Christmas, I would ask my Uncle Francis to actually send me movies that he taped off the cable channels. So I was able to get all of these movies that I wanted to see, and R-rated movies generally were not on the menu. But somehow I was able to kind of bypass that process, ask for these films, and I would get them. I ended up with a tape from My Uncle Francis at Christmas, and it had Major League, and it had Black Rain, and I believe it had the movie Internal Affairs, Richard Gere, and uh, Andy Garcia,
1: maybe? I was going to say, with the first two, if it had another movie on there that was one of your big faves that would have been like the trifecta but i don't know if internal affairs really rounds it out for you i could be wrong i don't even remember the
0: year of internal affairs i was just
1: maybe you're just associating it with another andy garcia
0: that's probably it
1: because of black rain it's well andy garcia is not a major league no
0: andy garcia is not in major league (laughs) too
1: bad he would have been good in it
0: yeah he would have been awesome (laughs) (laughs) so i got this tape With two movies and a third, we don't know. We don't know. We don't know what it is. And I watched it with my dad, and we just died laughing. Because, like I said, we have a history of baseball, you know, and we would go to these games, and it was always a great bonding moment for us. So, a lot of jokes, a lot of laughs, a lot of great memories, uh, a lot of really not talking to my mother about what we were what we're watching. keep the
1: moms out of the room for this if you do watch it i guess is the lesson
0: that's what i learned when i was a kid um but yeah it was yeah, this uh... is
1: not a mom friendly movie <laughs> um very locker roomy at times very uh, much and you know it is very problematic when we look back at it in oh some ways God. which i'm sure we'll get into yeah um but at the same time for a teenager, um, I think it's a fun time, Yeah, sure, Yeah, especially it... back in the early 90s um, when we saw it. But that's really cool that your Uncle Francis sent you these recorded videos. That was probably an awesome gift for you.
0: I loved it. I loved it. I remember the first one he sent me. This one I remember completely well. So the first tape he sent me had Animal House, Beverly Hills Cop, and Caddyshack oh wow that was like a power tape
1: yeah for you that is like a slam dunk
0: yeah we rolled out the hits
1: a three-pointer yeah listen to all my sports metaphors
0: you're very good
1: clearly i know nothing
0: you're pitching a perfect game
1: oh boy i'm batting (laughs) a thousand
0: uh you're uh
1: uh Touchdown! Oh,
0: I'm taking a knee right now. I'm taking a knee because that's classic. I never knew classic. what that
1: meant until you told me. I never even understood, and it took me a long time to figure out what that. Even with the explanation, yeah, I'm pretty uh, thick in the head when it comes to sports stuff. Me, I, I'm smart about so many things. Sports is probably just not it. I understand basketball because I was a basketball manager in high school. Mm-hmm. I understand softball, baseball. Football took a long time for me, and uh, we've still never been to or watched a hockey game. Although, I think I get what's going on there.
0: I know a little bit,
1: I think, of what's going on in hockey. It's like ice soccer. <laughs> That's I like what hockey that. is like with sticks.
0: So, if you folks out there, any of you are like me, um, and you don't know what's going on with football a lot of the time, I got a little bit of an idea from sports movies and my dad. Everybody tried to. Trained me the best they could but I found out the take a knee thing actually in college and I was watching a, a Patriots game and they were just destroying the other team they were up so much that there was no possible way that the other team could win so what happened is when the ball was with the Patriots what they did is instead of snapping the ball to the quarterback they actually just went down and took a knee so that was the play. They just let the clock run out, and like when this good happened, sportsmanship. right, and then everybody just started saying, "That's class. That's class." So yep. I, I still say that that's class.
1: <laughs> I'm just gonna insert uh, another story of my in, inability and ineptitude um, <laughs> around sporting events. Like when I moved to to Massachusetts, as we noted, and as probably everybody in the U.S. at least knows. Mm-hmm. People in Boston are pretty serious about their sports teams and things.
0: No fooling around.
1: So, you know, again, and again, I grew up in Mississippi. We have no professional sports teams in the major league um, groups anyway. We have some minor league teams and things like that. But, you know, geographical proximity wise, people were rooting for like the Dallas Cowboys, which is two states away, and the Atlanta Braves, which was two states away. Mm-hmm. I uh, arbitrarily chose my team to be the Toronto Blue Jays. Uh, I don't know if it was because they had won a few World Series or because I was obsessed with Canadian comedy troupe Kids in the Hall. Oh, wow. Who were based out of Toronto. And I thought, hey, this team is the closest to the Kids in the Hall. So I will pick them. But anyway, back to the story. But that's
0: phenomenal. I just want to congratulate you. <laughs> well, and that we is saw great
1: and we saw the Blue Jays in mm-hmm. real life actually, which was great. Yeah. Um really nice stadium and the tickets were mega cheap. Were they like and 7 bucks? They were like, well, maybe in Canadian bucks. I don't remember. They yeah, it was like cheap. they were less than $15. Yeah. And we were right behind home plate even though we were on the top tier. Mhm. Those, we could see perfectly. It was amazing. It was very fun. It was one of the best games we've seen. Pittsburgh was Pittsburgh Pirates game we went to. The first game I went to was also amazing. Um, You know, and we saw a bunch of other teams that were great, pretty much clustered in that New England area.
0: At one point, we actually were trying to go to all of the baseball parks.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, and we hit the Orioles, mm-hmm. the Phillies. Yep. Yeah. The Mets when they were at Shea. Right, yep. The Red Sox we saw multiple times because that was closer to home. That was easy, yeah. Um. Who else? Toronto. Yeah. Pittsburgh. We drove by Cleveland Indians Stadium when we were going through Cleveland, but either they weren't playing at the time or it was like preseason or we just couldn't get tickets.
0: And I also was making a lot of jokes that I was saying that uh, – there would be a statue of Tom (laughs) Berenger just to commemorate it. And I I just, I I talked about that so much. I just convinced myself that maybe, you know, maybe some other people from the film that have a statue of, yeah.
1: Lou Brown statue is what I want. I would
0: put money in for that.
1: I would totally chip in for the Lou Brown. Thank Uh, you. (laughs) But I'm still trying to tell my story and I keep getting sidetracked by other many, many stories. When I moved to Massachusetts, it was you know, the fall. So it was coming up being football season and, uh, people were talking about the Patriots. And I said,
0: (laughs) this is going to be good.
1: I said, Oh, I've never heard of them. Is that one of those new teams? (laughs) (laughs) Because this was just after they had expanded, you know, the, the NFL to include a few different teams. um, I'm lucky to be alive, is the end of that story. People looked at me like I was an insane person, and they wanted to murder me, but luckily I made it through. Um, They chalked it up to me being probably an ignorant Southerner, which, you know, sometimes it pays to sound like this, rarely, but sometimes, and uh, we moved on, but yeah, that's my story of how dumb I am about football
0: not dumb i mean i would i would poke the bear because sometimes i'm just i don't know there's part of me that's just mischievous some kind of troublemaker
1: you're a contrarian sometimes
0: yeah and i was in college and there was a party to watch a patriots game and i don't remember who the patriots were playing but i just rooted for the team that was not the patriots just to infuriate the crowd
1: Well, we actually had, one of my one of the places I worked when we lived in Massachusetts, there was a guy that uh, was in my department who was a Yankees fan, mm-hmm. which is kind of like the cardinal sin in Massachusetts to be a Massachusetts resident who likes the Yankees. And that was Peter. Uh, he also loved snow and winter weather. And we worked at the electric company and snow was kind of a nightmare for us, especially icy snow, because it made the power would go out. But he was always excited about winter coming and having snow and getting his snow blower out of the garage and it would just drive everyone nuts. So if it was spring and summer, he was driving people crazy, being a Yankees fan, fall and winter, driving people crazy, uh, enjoying the snow when all the rest of us wanted to move to another state like Margaret Witten's Rachel Phelps character here yeah who's like no more Cleveland for me <sighs> okay back to the movie I don't miss the,
0: the snow I just want to I don't miss the snow
1: uh, I don't either I don't miss the snow I, it's sometimes too hot here but it's not snowing so we have that I like snow in LA because mm-hmm. it's on the mountains in the distance and you can see it but you don't have to feel it driving it etc shovel it it's pretty, yeah. but the visual element is about as much as I want to do with it at this point after 11 years in New England. I feel you. I feel you. Well, Worcester in particular, because Worcester is a snowy, 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 small city.
0: hmm We've really, I mean, this has been pretty We good. really off-roaded, yes. We did. We We're did. We're going to
1: pull back onto the road. All right.
0: So, does Major League fit into the traditional definition of a comfort
1: film? Um, to some extent, yes. I feel like the answer I always have for this question is mostly, but not quite. Um, for nostalgia purposes for me, it certainly does. Um, for sports movies, just kind of having like that underdog theme. Um, I think that that's a comfort film because you get to see people who You know, sometimes they aren't as talented or they don't have as many um, advantages, but they come together and through the force of their will and spirit, they're able to overcome obstacles and meet a goal. And that's what happens in this movie. So in that respect, there's like the hope element. There's the happy ending, um, the triumph, these things all, to me, lend themselves to a comfort film. Um, That being said, there are a lot of problematic parts of this that I really noticed um, when we came back to the movie. And for other people who might be uh, affected by those things, I feel that this might not work for them. Um, As even a good movie, much less a comfort movie, I am privileged in the respect that i I'm not affected by that. Um but I did notice it this this time and I was kind of like, "Ooh, I don't know." I, mean, I just
0: feel like a schmuck, you know, because this is something I would say is a comfort film I enjoyed. I talked with people about it for years and this is something that I really held up high is a great fun time. Yeah. When we went back to this movie, this I mean, time in yeah.
1: particular, and for some reason, I mean, we have even seen this not that long ago. Yeah. And it didn't hit me with some of the things. Some of the things I was like, eh, that's a little uncomfortable. But um, you know what? Let's just address these elephants in the room. Yeah, at let's this talk point. about it. I mean, um, I mean, obviously there is the, the fact of the mascot of this team being the Indians, um, which is something that we've seen in real life mm-hmm. um, come to a head at yeah. this point. And in my opinion, fortunately, they have decided um, to put that mascot away and become the Guardians.
0: Well, that's the one thing about this movie that made me feel better, is the very first shot of the film is of the Hope Memorial Bridge, and we see one of the Guardians of Transportation, yes. which is who the team is now named after. Yeah. You know, after this season, they are the Indians no more. Yes. Next time we see him again... They will be the Cleveland Guardians.
1: And for me, that is an important step toward inclusivity. Mm -hmm. um, Because what we don't want to do is offend people. Very much. Um, I don't think that growing up, I uh, understood how offensive this kind of chief Wahoo character is. Yeah. Um, But now I can really look at that and say... It is a problematic thing, and it is something that if, if it's a mascot that can be retired and we can move on to something that is more inclusive for all people, all Americans yeah. can watch a Guardians game without feeling like their culture or their race is being um, taken advantage of, made fun of, etc., why wouldn't we do that? Why wouldn't we all choose to do that? And, and I'm glad that this uh, baseball team has decided to do that. So that's one of the major issues um, that I saw with this. Of course, it's not movie specific. It just happens to be that there's this real team that they chose that has this problematic uh, mascot. And we have other mascots that still exist that have these same problems. Yeah. So, you know, over the course of the next few years, I think we, we may see more of these changes start to happen. Um, one of the other major problems that I saw this time, and, in a, you know, for the last five years or so when I've watched this, is uh, the character who used to be one of my favorite characters uh, of Serrano. So Serrano is an Afro-Cuban defector, who it is said has left Cuba to come to the United States for religious freedom. And they say, "Oh, well, what's his religion? His religion is voodoo. There's not a problem necessarily with this character's religion being voodoo, but the problem is with the way it's treated as a joke.
0: Well, in the very first time you see Pedro Serrano at spring training, they say that he practices voodoo. And then there's this really lousy music it's, cue. Yeah. Very offensive.
1: It is, yeah. It's like a stinger, and it, it makes you feel like you're supposed to be scared of this person. Mm-hmm. And they keep playing on that throughout. Yeah. Um, and he is an Afro-Cuban character, so he's exoticized in an uncomfortable way. And his religion is played as a joke throughout the movie and also is something that he kind of throws off um, at multiple points in the film. And the fact is that there are people who lived in Cuba and had to leave Cuba for religious freedom. So playing off a choice like that as a joke is a little bit of a problem, um, among kind of other difficult issues with the Serrano character. Um, the, the accent is like very exaggerated Spanish as well and you know this doesn't have anything to do with the actor no. um Dennis Haysbert is actually phenomenal and one of the great reasons that i like this movie to begin with i've always really liked serrano as a character he's the he's the hitter you know and he overcomes his inability to hit the curveball um i actually also read in trivia that some of the actual home runs That Serrano hit, Haysbert is actually the one who hit them. Oh, man. How cool is that? Which is awesome. I mean, the guy could even play baseball. Wow. Um, And he's, he's a very fantastic actor. He's been in a lot of other stuff. If it, so was it was me
0: there, I would have uh, <laughs> not hit
1: the home I wouldn't have even, I probably wouldn't have even bunted. I don't know. Maybe I would. I was pretty good at softball.
0: I wouldn't have even made contact with the ball. I would have really <laughs> Well, if people
1: are throwing it at 95 miles an hour.
0: Oh, man. My arm no. would fall off.
1: Yeah, probably so. But, yeah. um, yeah, nothing bad about the actor. It's just about the actual way the character is treated. And, you know, when we look back in time in the 90s, I don't even think that this would have been some 89, 90, this wouldn't have even been something that people thought about. No,
0: no one thought about it at all. And that's, and that's what really gets you by surprise. Again, yeah. you just, you thought, hey, yeah, this is just a baseball movie.
1: Well, and also, you know, he is based on some of the Afro-Latino players in the actual baseball, you know, league. So I think that you know, they just thought they were picking up something from what's actually happening in baseball. Um, But I think, I just feel like it could have been handled in a a little bit of a better way. Agree. Um, Finally, the last thing I will touch on uh, specifically is that there is like some anti-woman sentiment in this movie, which leads into a lot of different areas. But one in particular is that the Rachel Phelps character is kind of treated like uh, in a slut-shaming kind of way. She used to be a showgirl, and people kind of snicker about this. And then once they decide that they're going to uh, go after the pennant, they bring a cardboard cutout of her into the locker room, which is covered in all of these stick-on leopard print kind of squares, to form a dress on her and as they win they peel off a sticker which ends up revealing her almost nude you know probably in her showgirl type costume Um, and this is kind of played off as no big deal because Rachel is kind of the villain of the movie but you know when I'm looking at that I feel that they're kind of going for, like, the lowest common denominator of what they could say about this person. Um, and I don't really think that's super positive.
0: No, it, it isn't at all. I mean, from the very beginning of of the film, you know, they actually, she's reading from the paper all of the detractors, and they, they say that the ex-showgirl wife of Donald Phelps has no place in professional baseball. Yeah. And... Rachel Phelps can be any profession she wants to be and manage a team. It is irrelevant if she is a showgirl or not.
1: She actually does have a pretty uh, serious plan for what she wants to do. She does. So even if she is a villain, she isn't uh, an inept villain. And her attempts to uh, bring down this team probably should have worked. You know, the only reason it didn't is because these people kind of rallied together and went against her. But she's not necessarily a stupid person. Not at all. um, Even though they want to play her off as stupid and incompetent. And a woman.
0: In an alternate ending of the film, they actually put forth the idea that Rachel Phelps is a good person who wants the team to succeed. And so she's being hard on the team... So that they will rally, persevere, and have a breakthrough.
1: Yeah. That being said, that ending was terrible.
0: It didn't fit with the tone of the rest of the film.
1: No, it didn't. It, it felt like a bizarre flip-flop. Yeah. Um, and it didn't really work. Um, and I don't know what the purpose of that would have been. Maybe it was to kind of show... Um, Rachel is some kind of a different kind of a mastermind here, but it just didn't work um, overall. So I'm glad that they did what they did, but I don't necessarily love the way that they just went for, um, you know, making fun of her as a female character in order to do that.
0: Yeah. I mean, now the other thing I want to bring up that we have in this film is the normalization of stalking.
1: And this really smacked us right in the face. Yeah. I mean, time. it's you can't miss it. It,
0: it. It's in the story.
1: I don't know how we didn't think about this for the last 30 years yeah. that we've been watching it.
0: Yeah. I mean, you have a situation where Jake Taylor, you know, our catcher, and kind of the leader of the team on the field.
1: And really, I'd say maybe the hero protagonist of this movie. I think so. Overall.
0: Yeah, because that's we spend all the time with him. He has a whole B story, he has a love interest. They were both athletes and he cheated on her a lot. So, she left him. And what happens is Jake runs into Lynn, played by Renee Russo. He runs into her in a restaurant and basically bullies her until she gives him a phone number.
1: He she, calls She's out on a date with her current love interest and he pulls her away from that to take her attention by for worse mm-hmm. and like won't take no for an answer and i want to also say that this hit me later he says to her at the end of that conversation um i'm gonna be around
0: yeah and yeah. it's
1: you know it's almost a threat it's not
0: comfortable it it's not it didn't feel playful um I, I'm not sure what the situation is there. I mean, I don't know. Maybe I'm like, well, you don't know all the ins and outs of their old relationship. But I'm like, I don't really think I want to if this is what's going <laughs> well, on.
1: I mean, we only know what they present us, right? Correct. Yeah. And what they do present us here is that these these people used to be in love. Um, they used to have a very strong kind of attraction yeah. to each other. Yep. But all we hear from her at first is that he wasn't a good boyfriend. Yep. He cheated. Yep. He made her feel belittled mm-hmm. um and not worthy. And now all we're seeing is that he is pursuing her against her wishes when mm-hmm. she continues to say no. Yeah. Um she doesn't want to give him the phone number. Yeah. The next day when he tries to call her, he finds out that she's given him a fake number. Mm-hmm. Does he let it go?
0: Absolutely not. <laughs> he decides You know what? I'm just going to ambush her at her place of work. So he goes to the library where she works, and he just continues down this path of them getting back together, whether she likes it or not. And again, we hear more stories about how he embarrassed her, how he cheated on her. He gives the most ludicrous rationalizations For his terrible behavior. And it's. (laughs) She says that you know. We were athletes. And he's like oh we were athletes. We were hot for each other. And she's like no. I am not an athlete anymore. Books are my life. He doesn't show any interest in the fact. That she no longer wants to be an athlete. She wants to work with books. And she brings up the fact that. You know Jake never read. Any of the books. That she asked him to read. And. (laughs) You know, it's like the one thing it seems that she wanted from him, and he couldn't be bothered to do it.
1: Yeah, and and he continues to deny her uh, requests. She asks him at the library, let's go to my office so we can talk about this. He doesn't want to go to her office. He wants to have a public confrontation, and he does again end up embarrassing her, this time at her place of work in front of all the library patrons.
0: And then, you know, we have a, a situation where it's still not over. We see uh, Jake, uh, you know, waiting for a, a plane, and he's reading a comic book version of Moby Dick. It's one of the books that Lynn asked him to read. And uh, Willie Mays Hayes, Wesley Snipes said, why are you reading this book? Jake saying, because Lynn wanted me to read this book. But I don't know where she is, so there's no way I can pursue this relationship any further. And then Willie Mays Hayes says to Jake Taylor, then why don't you just go to her place of work and tail her home? And Jake Taylor says, well, isn't that juvenile? And Willie Mays Hayes says, yes. And then the next scene, we see Jake Taylor go to the library, tail Lynn, I mean, this is this is creepy stuff. This
1: is just straight stalking. Yeah. I mean, the the movie plays it off a little bit.
0: Yeah, it does. It um, does.
1: And, and you know, I think that that continues to happen mm-hmm. um, throughout. But he follows her to this place. He does have a moment where he thinks, I don't know if I should be doing this. Yep. And goes to a bar and has a drink. But he just decides to go for it. And he ends up... Somehow getting into the building and then up to the the apartment where the elevator just opens onto the actual apartment. It's... Oh, he
0: walks in, and then just the the weird alternate reality continues. Jake walks into this apartment, and also I'm going to backtrack one second. I don't know any place that you can go to that's hooked up to an elevator where you just push a button and you're able to walk into anyone's apartment. No. That's number one. So well,
1: he... I mean, if you're in that kind of apartment, you assume that it's an expensive place that might have a drop of security. Right. So move immediately.
0: <laughs> yeah. You don't want to live in that building. So he goes up in the elevator. The doors open. There's a dinner party. And uh, Lynn says... Jake, it's not my place. And it's just kind of like, you know, it's just said. It's not like... She's not
1: mad even. No,
0: she's not like, get out of here, psycho. It's
1: like she just expected this to happen, which is concerning.
0: Very much. And then we find that this is the apartment of her boyfriend, who we find out is actually her fiancé, and they're having a dinner party with other guests. And then Jake just proceeds to go in and sit down at the dinner party, And he talks about his career in baseball. He talks about how he wanted to marry Lynn, but she got away. Very, very awkward. Yeah. And then he leaves. And the fiancé says, stay away from her. And in a vulgar way, he responds that he will do no such thing.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And again, we are on his side the whole time. Yep. Um, The last... Things that happen, which is again kind of a combination, is that uh, at one point uh, Lynn is actually at a ball game, and Jake sees her after the ball game is over, and he again tails her. Yep. Uh, this time he actually borrows the bullpen car mm-hmm. so that he can chase after her. Yeah. Um, and goes to her actual place, where again somehow. He walks up the stairs into the apartment without us understanding how he can even access this place.
0: Yeah, I mean, we we don't hear a knock. We don't hear a doorbell. We don't hear a hello. He just walks right into her apartment somehow. And again, this just seems to be BAU.
1: She's not alarmed in the least. Nope, nope, nope. In fact, much the opposite. Yeah. Even though she continues to say that she doesn't want him there and she's getting married in October and all of these things to dissuade him, they end up sleeping together. Yep. And, uh, again, whether the consent here, folks, um, it's really a problem.
0: Well, and then, again, this is not... The last time that this happens in the movie. The last time he barges into her apartment. It's the same apartment. Again, no knock, no doorbell, no hello. We see him walk in. We see him holding keys. So it's like, does he have her keys? Is he carrying his car keys? We have no idea. But it's a dark, empty apartment because she's moved out at this point because she's moved in with her fiancé. I
1: mean, I don't know what we're doing. I mean, here. there's not really any other question here. So at no. this point I guess he finally has given up on her for the moment. Right. Um, and then at the very end of the movie, when they win their last when they win this playoff game, he turns around and sees her in the audience mm-hmm. and she holds up her left hand and indicates that she has no ring on it anymore. She's broken off the engagement with Tom and she's here for him. Um How did this happen? When did this happen? Why did this happen? We have no information about that. Lynn's decision-making skills are really not something that we're privy to (laughs) as viewers. Um, But what we are privy to is Jake Taylor being our hero and being held up as this romantic guy who just won't give up on the woman he loves. And I think that when we go back to older movies even not that much older at this point, just even five, ten years ago, but certainly back into 80s, 90s, we have a lot of cases where you have this heroic male character who you're supposed to be relating to and who's kind of like your man in the movie mm-hmm. um, doing these things that are presented as these grand romantic gestures, which in reality are... In this case, stalking. Yeah. Um, In this case, not, you know, not making sure that you have consent from someone, um, but just bullying someone. Uh, That was a word you used when we discussed this. There's bullying going on here. And honestly, it's kind of no wonder that people don't understand um, that these behaviors aren't great because they've been watching movies for years and years that present these types of behaviors as not just acceptable, but preferable. Like this is how you get a woman to like you. This is how you get a
0: restraining order or, <laughs> you know, that's really what it well, is. There's, there's so much with this movie. Yeah, I guess I mean, we don't want
1: to push it too hard no. because this is still a comedy. We do still like it, but the fact is nostalgia and enjoyment of these funny lines, notwithstanding, there is some uncomfortable triggering kind of stuff in this movie. Very much. That uh, you have to acknowledge as a product of its time. Sure. Um, But I just think we have to be grateful that we are recognizing these things and starting to try to move away from them in our art. Yeah. Um, Because really it's exclusive. It's excluding. Um, And again, what, what I had said before was, and still holds true. Uh, We are coming from a privileged position and are being able to say that we are able to ignore this to enjoy the movie. But if we were a a Cuban or Afro Latino or, you know, a woman who has been in a difficult relationship with a stalking kind of a person or a native American, you know, if you're in one of these classes, you might have an issue um, watching this comfortably, and that's unfortunate.
0: I don't like it when you have something that not everyone can enjoy. Agree. If anyone's feelings are hurt, if there's something off, you know, it, it's something I I just I don't I don't want to be a part of yeah. really.
1: Well, and as we look back on these movies, we're finding that some of the movies that we had uh, these nostalgic feelings for do have these issues. Yeah. And if we choose to. Uh, discuss a movie that has those issues we are definitely going to call them in Very um, much. for those issues and make sure that we acknowledge that um you know to be responsible uh, as podcasters and as you know fellow human beings so you know the thing with this movie is that even with all its faults it is extremely influential absolutely uh, especially in that, right now, uh, the show Ted Lasso, which is popular and people really love and I love. Me too. Um, is basically based on the same premise as Major League. Um, in Ted Lasso, the, some of the details are changed. You have uh, a soccer team because it's set in Britain, mm-hmm. uh, not a baseball team. And the way that the woman who inherits the team gets it is because it's left to her in a divorce rather than in a will of a dead husband. So she has a living ex who is actively part of the story. Um, But she does kind of want to get her revenge on him. And in doing so, she hires in this guy, Ted Lasso, who is an American football coach, not a soccer coach. He was a college coach that had some success. She brings him to the UK to coach the soccer team, um, even though he has no expertise. And, you know, her whole reason behind that is to make it seem like she's trying to do something new and innovative when what she's really trying to do is destroy the whole thing. Um, But what, of course, ends up happening is very much like what happens in Major League, that Ted Lasso uh, is able to turn things around and, you know, uh, be a success uh, in this team. Not a tremendous, perfect success. It's not like everything all turns out for the, you know, very best. But he does better than anybody possibly could have expected. And there's like a real warm and fuzzy quality to that that also still owes a debt to Major League. And you you have to know that the writers of Ted Lasso certainly had Major League in mind and were thinking about the very positive things about the movie with the underdog story and, you know, just kind of the ragtag group and people pulling together as a team to succeed um, and changing hearts and minds and things like this when they were writing the show.
0: And they're not shy about it being a direct homage because there are lines from Major League that show up directly in Ted Lasso. You know, the banker line that you talked about, that's in there. Yeah, Jamie,
1: and, Jamie Tart says it.
0: Yeah, and then we also have win the whole thing, you know? Yeah. So I, I really I do like it. It's like uh, I don't know, in a way it's like a, a major league reboot. And like you said, it's it's guilt-free now, you know? <laughs> it, it's uh, it's nice because we can we can take all of that. We can enjoy the things that we did before. We can feel good about it and I don't know, we can grow, I guess I want to yeah, say. Yeah, I
1: mean, well that that's true because not only does it take the good things and leave out the bad things, it uses it as a springing springboard. Um, For actually dealing with some really serious, important issues in a really sensitive, nuanced kind of way. Um, Bringing like this really positive spin on a lot of things. And the cool thing is that the people in Ted Lasso aren't perfect either. You know, they have issues. They have concerns. It starts out with, you know, Ted moving from the U.S. to the U.K. He gets a divorce. He, you know, has trouble with his son, you know, living in the U.S. and him living all the way across the other side of the world. And so people have a lot of things to deal with. There's a lot of pressure. But uh, it always maintains this kind of inner positivity and focus on human decency and just being the best kind of person that you can be. And I love that it was able to. I love that the people who wrote Ted Lasso were able to take their love and appreciation of Major League and turn it into something so positive. Here, here. Who is your favorite character in this film?
0: Absolutely, Lou Brown.
1: Oh, uh, me too. Lou Brown is the best. Um, from the minute we meet him, he's my favorite you know, when they call him to ask him to coach. So um, he has been the, when when Rachel is proposing him as the coach for the Cleveland Indians, nobody's ever heard of him. General Manager Donovan has never heard of him. He says, who is this? And she says he's been the, the manager of the International League Toledo Mud Hens for the last 30 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, so... You would think that you would call him up and say, hey, we want you to coach a a major league team. You think he would be excited. Not Lou Brown.
0: No. 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 I think it was, uh, it went a little something like this. Dire world.
1: Lou, it's Charlie Donovan from Cleveland. How would you like to manage the Indians this year? Gee, I don't know. What do you mean you don't know? this is your chance to to manage in the big leagues
0: let me get back to you will you charlie i got a guy on the other line asking about some white walls i'll talk to you later
1: (laughs) (laughs) oh my gosh this is why we love lou very much because for lou it's just another day at tire world yeah and it's like eh maybe i'll be the manager maybe not and he has this unflappable nature that really works out for him mm-hmm. Um, throughout. He can kind of weather the, the drama of this team and the crazy people on it. Um, and in addition to that, he has a lot of heart. Like Lou Brown is all heart. He wants to take care of the players. He recognizes that they're talented and he tries to develop that. I mean, frankly, I'd say he's, about the perfect coach
0: yeah he really cares he and he really gives cares people a chance yes
1: like when rick is pitching wild and doing a terrible job he gives him a chance and and when he finally says look i have to let you go he realizes that rick's problem is that he has a vision issue and he needs glasses and they fix that and rick goes on to be a great pitcher um, so this is just a, a great character in that respect. I do have to give an honorable mention as well to Harry Doyle, who's oh, played yeah. by Bob Euchre. Um, Harry is the long-suffering Indians announcer for the games. And Bob Euchre is brilliant in this role. Um, he was actually, I think, the Minnesota Twins announcer for many years. And so he brings all of that experience into the role. He has a great voice for announcing and uh, apparently according to the trivia he did improvise a lot of the lines that he gives which are great one-liners. Basically his reality that he brings to this role to me is one of the things that makes it feel like a great movie. So huge props to both Lou Brown and Harry Doyle as great characters.
0: Yes, we salute you.
1: (laughs) And we will build a statue of you in Cleveland. Yes. (laughs) Uh, What's your favorite scene in the movie?
0: Favorite scene is at the very beginning when they're calling around, trying to get people to join the Cleveland Indians, and no one
1: cares. Yeah, nobody cares. (laughs) No one cares. They're like, eh. Um, I also, I think that even leads into, like, when they start arriving to spring training and you Mm -hmm. just get introduced to this cast of characters. Yeah. it's handled really well, um, because you get to meet these guys one by one. You get to learn a little bit about them, and it really sets the stage. It's almost like when you're reading a play, and the first page has like the dramatis personae. Yeah, and you can see who they are, what their names are, what their purposes in the in the play. Um, it's a good setup. My favorite scene has to be um after the last cuts are made, um and. Charlie Sheen's character, Rick Vaughn, and Wesley Snipes' character, Willie Mays Hayes, have made the team. Um, There's been a little dust-up with Roger Dorn because he played a joke on Vaughn to make him think he'd been cut, but he wasn't. Well, Jake kind of settles that as kind of the peacemaker, uh, the elder statesman of the team. And he takes out Willie and Rick to a restaurant to celebrate. Well, he takes them to this fancy French restaurant. And one would think that that would be, be exciting for people who have never been there. But Rick and and Willie are total fish out of water there. And that's kind of just always a funny situation. Oh, yeah. When it's not dangerous, obviously. But in this particular case, it's, it's hilarious. Um, because Rick has this kind of punk rock metal look with like the ripped off sleeves and leather vest and things and they've made him put on a tie to to, to sit in this restaurant um, I always thought that that rule was kind of hilarious anyway mm-hmm. because a tie does not necessarily fix all the problems that you might have um, but according to these restaurants it's like well you have to wear a tie uh, in this case it's done nothing except to make him look ludicrous but Rex says I look like a banker in this. <laughs> he does not. He does not look like a banker. And then later on, they're trying to puzzle out the menu. They don't know what they're eating. They can't read it. And so what kind of restaurant is this? French. They got chili dogs over there. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I mean, I feel bad for Jake. He could have just taken him to Wienerschnitzel. Yeah the whole time saved a couple bucks
0: and then he wouldn't have run into lynn and we wouldn't have had we that could whole have been spared right? yeah
1: that whole situation yeah. but oh well no nope. couldn't do it <laughs> um i enjoy that that scene though a lot and um those are some of the the lines that i remember um all the time um what is do you have a particular favorite can is it possible for you to pick a favorite line I mean, White Walls, we've said... White
0: Walls is really the one that I go back to. Um, I think I would say, again, it's it's that opening scene, and Charlie Donovan calls Jake Taylor, Tom Behringer, and asks him if he'd like to play for the Cleveland Indians this year. And Tom Behringer uh, just thinks it's a gag yeah he thinks it's a joke he goes is that you Tolbert I'm hung over my knees are killing me and if you were gonna pull this you could at least said you're from the Yankees <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's a good one oh it's great gosh it great. I mean I could just list a ton and ton, a ton of lines that are hilarious but I guess I'll give another honorable mention to Harry Doyle oh yeah and uh, one of Bob euchre's amazing improvisations when, I believe this was in the first game that Rick pitches, he's throwing a ball, throwing the ball, and it's probably, like, I don't know, four feet behind the the batter's head. It's, like, so far off. It's, like, the worst ball you've ever seen, and Harry <laughs> just says, just a bit outside (laughs) like ah i mean he's like always trying to make it seem like what's happening is good he's keeps he's trying to keep the indians seeming favorable all the time um just like an announcer a good announcer should i guess um at least if you know it's a, a partisan announcer for the team so i enjoy that as well
0: yeah he's the guy you want on the team i mean They fake sounds of of cheers, you know, to make it sound like it's a a busy stadium and everyone is behind the team.
1: Yes. I mean, but I do have to say something that we hadn't mentioned before is that the fans, there are some diehard fans in the movie. And I really enjoy those characters. These are like minor characters, but they keep coming back to them almost as like a Greek chorus type of a response to see what, you know, their reaction is to the team at the beginning. When we first see this roster, everybody's like, oh, I don't know. But they still are coming to the game because they're diehard fans. And I really like that, uh, especially having lived in Massachusetts before the Red Sox uh, came back and started winning uh, all these uh, titles and everything. You did that yeah so it's because of me you're welcome my (laughs) lack of knowledge that the patriots even existed helped to make the red sox win um no they won in what oh four or something um after many many years of never winning a series and uh there's just so many diehard fans and it's great because you know it does support the team it does make the team feel good um, and it does keep the team going even when things are tough. So I kind of like that they wrote like in a little love letter to the diehard fans. In this, I thought that was really cool.
0: Yeah, I can like that too because you have something that you're rooting for, and then the miracle comes true.
1: Yeah, and they are just as excited as anyone when the when the win happens. You know, it's not just that the team wins it's that the fans win Mm -hmm. and even harry doyle wins i mean he's absolutely joyful to announce that the indians have won the pennant at the end of that playoff game um so i really love that yeah it's a nice feeling
0: wonderful close to the movie
1: yeah it really is and a solid freeze frame i was just gonna say and they do a freeze frame which as john and i know is my preferred ending to all movies (laughs) i love it i sometimes will just propose how a movie could have had a freeze frame ending um no i mean tongue-in-cheek freeze frames are kind of cheese but um i love saying that a a movie should have a freeze frame ending in it and this one does
0: yeah and they're always fun yeah they're always fun
1: and it worked here Mm -hmm. so by way of our usual wrap-up question what comfort food would you say uh is an analog for major league
0: i would say that a chili dog <laughs> would be the way uh to describe this you know they chili
1: chili dogs over there
0: <laughs> um yeah it's a chili dog with all the fixins. you know the cheese the onions and you're eating it and it's just slopping everywhere <laughs> you know oh my God. you just blow out <laughs> your shirt <laughs> You know, but it it tastes good, you know, you're digging it, <laughs> and, and uh, you know, it, it's just like you ate it, you feel great, but, uh, you know, about like a half hour later, you're gonna just start feeling a little thunder down under, oh, God. <laughs> you know, just some rumbling that oh, uh, will require uh some antacid you know maybe some gas x just some uh, oh, a no. lot of space from others but um you know you're gonna have some regrets um <laughs> but overall you know you're gonna find yourself back there at the chili dog dealers again
1: <laughs> maybe bring some Rolades with you yeah this time
0: be prepped yeah okay
1: yeah. interesting
0: what about you? What would you say?
1: Well, I would normally probably be tempted to say a hot dog, since that's like a ballpark food that I think of. Anytime I go to a baseball game, I get a hot dog. Not a chili dog. Mm. But I do have onions on it, so things might happen. Right. Um, but uh, going back to the fact that you I know, have this nostalgia... Over the movie with, you know, my stepbrother kind of being the one to introduce it to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a Jason movie, so I think I might uh, refer back to a Jason food, even though I haven't had it in probably 30 years. Oh, wow. Um, Jason would make these amazing hamburgers okay. uh, at home. Our step, well, my stepdad, his dad, was a cattle salesman, so he always had a lot of ground beef in the freezer. And so hamburgers were kind of a staple. But when Jason was making them, he would add a lot of, like, different, interesting spices and flavoring mm-hmm. to kind of, you know, snazz it up, I guess. All right. Um, and, you know, I'm pretty sure there was a good bit of garlic, good bit of pepper in there. Um, but what I really remember is that he would always grab this hideous jar of maraschino cherries, you know, the bright red like uh, Sunday cherries and take like a spoon or two of the juice in the jar and put that into the hamburger while he was mixing it up. Wow. Which sounds really weird mm-hmm. Um, but it was amazing and it gave it almost like this kind of teriyaki kind of flavor. Teriyaki. Yeah and I don't know where he got this idea if it was just like it came to him or he had seen it done somewhere else. But it really made these great burgers. I love them. My mom loved them. And, you know, we would just be like, oh, Jason, why don't you make some of those burgers? So after this, I'm going to maybe uh, message him on Facebook and be like, hey, what's that recipe for those burgers? Yeah, I mean. So we can make one and, and have it. I think you would like it. And um, I do remember them very fondly, especially now that it's been such a long time.
0: That sounds good. I mean I'm all about burgers. Oh yeah. Getting down on one of Jason's cherry burgers.
1: <laughs> cherry burger.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Cheryaki. Is that what know. he called it? No, that's what I'm calling it now. Ooh, that's a good name. Yeah, I don't I have no idea what all was in them, but boy, they were yum. And uh yeah, they were like the big half pound jobs, you know, like a whole meal. <laughs> I mean we would we would be eating that for, you know you probably have a brick in your belly after that, too. But it's oh, good. Man. It's all good. I can tear down a burger myself. So, yeah. All right. Well, I think that pretty much does it for us this week at Comfort Films. It does it for sure. Maybe permanently. <laughs> oh, oh but man. But we're planning to come back next week mm-hmm. uh, with another... Movie that proved highly influential for a current-day television show that we also love. Yes, we do. Um, odd. It's an odd coincidence, because these movies have nothing to do with each other, and these TV shows have nothing to do with each other. But just like you couldn't have Ted Lasso without Major League, you really could not have Rick and Morty without Doc and Marty from Back to the Future. So... We will be looking forward to talking to you about that movie next week. It's a favorite of both of ours, and probably a lot of people out there, too. I don't think I know anybody from our generation who doesn't just love Back to the Future.
0: It's the ultimate. It is the ultimate
1: movie. a super classic. Ageless. Timeless. And hopefully not controversial. Hopefully we don't have to spend 20 minutes, you know, talking about the bad stuff in there. But who knows?
0: I... I have no idea.
1: Yeah, I don't either. But that's what happens when you look at these old movies again. You're like, whoops.
0: Yeah, I'm not going to say anything like, you know, I think we're good to go because uh, (laughs) I've learned my lesson. We
1: don't want to commit to that. (laughs) No,
0: no, we don't at all. (laughs)
1: But again, if it is there, we'll call it out. Um, So, yeah, wubba lubba dub dub. Rub rub. Stay comfy.
0: Stay (laughs) swifty. <laughs> Stay comfy, everybody.
1: And we'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.